message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Thank you, guys. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. How do you start? Uh, how do you start a Mother's Day sermon? You know, I've uh, I've always struggled with any of the holiday sermons. Um, I, I don't really, I, I don't know uh, exactly why it is. I've talked to my peers, and uh, a lot of preachers say the same thing that these these. Uh, Hallmark holidays, they're just, they're just difficult um, just because it's hard to find, you know, more than a few good Mother's Day messages in the Bible without really, you know, starting to stretch things. And I always like to find unique passages anyway on these sort of holidays. And so we're going we're gonna to take that approach today. I jotted down some things that I learned from my mom, and let's just, let's just start that way. Maybe you've learned some of these things from your own mom. I was just going to read them out to you. But I decided that they sound better in the mouths of moms. And so uh, I've enlisted some moms to, to be the voice of mom today. And, and here's, here's my list of things we, we learn. Some of the, some, not, just the, not just the common things we learn from mom. We learn, we learn amazing things from moms, like, like time travel. Did you know that? Tracy, tell us what moms teach us about time travel. We learn higher levels of logic from our moms. Debbie? Logical. That's logical. We get, we get not just insight, but we get foresight from our moms. Miss Sunita? That's right. Irony. Moms teach us about irony. Miss Tracy? The, uh, you wouldn't think it, but moms teach us about the process of osmosis. Bring it for us. I had to explain that one to Steve. <laughs> stamina. Moms teach us about stamina. Miss Allison, you in here? That's right. As long as it takes. We learn weather, Miss Debbie, from our moms. Even the concept of hypocrisy we learn from our moms. I don't, I don't really understand exactly if she's teaching it here or not teaching it, but we, we gain an understanding of hypocrisy. Miss Brittany? Steve, you have to explain that one to Steve again. You got that one? All right. Miss Myra, what does mom say about the circle of life? That's right. What about the key to life, Miss Tracy? That's it. That's the secret to secret to life. Miss Sunita, what what do you teach us about patience? Medical science, Brittany. 
How many of you believe that? For a long time, I'm believing it. Uh, genetics, Miss Anita. And uh, wisdom, Miss Myra. I, I didn't give you that one for any reason, Miss Myra. I'm sorry. Brittany, what about spiritual blessings from our mother? I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. The Bible does tell us, however, that we are to honor the teachings of our mother. Proverbs says it this way, and on many occasions, do not forsake your mother's teachings. Do not forsake the teachings of your mother. A foolish son is a grief to his mother. A foolish man despises the teachings of his mother. He who drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in his time of darkness. Do not despise your mother when she is old. A child who gets his own way brings eventual shame to his mother. And let your father and your mother be glad. And let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Proverbs is chock full of instruction for especially young men to honor their mothers. Last year, anybody remember the focus of the Mother's Day message? Who did we talk about? What mother in the Bible? What famous mother? No? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? Mary. We talked about Mary. Never preached on Mary before that. We talked about Mary. It is said of the mother of Jesus, Blessed art thou among women. Can anybody tell me trivia question? Who is the only other woman that those words are uttered of in Scripture? If you can, if you can give it to me, I got a $20 bill right here for you. That's how confident I am. It's not Elizabeth. Not Eve. Not Esther. It's not Ruth. Don't just go through the list of any woman you know in the Bible. Q heard $20 out in the hall and he's coming to church. Amen, brother. Come down to the altar. I'm just kidding. Go back to your class. You wouldn't guess it. No. Desperate. Jael. What do you know about Jael? Preached a sermon on Jael uh, ten years ago. And um, she's not your typical Mother's Day message. Uh, it is said of Jael, blessed art thou among women. We'll get to that in a moment. And I'll tell you why that is said of her. And it's... It's, I believe, I believe the, the basis, I think it's the place where Gabriel the angel, when he announced that about Mary, I think, I think that's what he had in mind and maybe what, uh, what Luke had in mind as he recorded that in his gospel and what the readers originally would have had in mind. They would have had, oddly enough, Jael in their hearts and minds. I, I, I think they would have known that and it's an interesting correlation. We'll get to it. So this morning I want to give you what is probably my favorite Mother's Day message of all my Mother's Day messages. I went back through all of my records. This was one of the first two Mother's Day messages that I have in record. I think before that we didn't have computers. And so it was on paper, you know, on a, on a legal pad somewhere. Lost forever. Um, Jael is not a hallmark Mother's Day moment. Uh, there's no... There's no candy and flower story in the story of Jael. She's what, however, theologians call a bad mamma jamma. You can write that down. 
Um, I think it was Spurgeon who said that. We'll get to Jael in a moment, but in order for you to understand her story, you have to understand the, the back story. You have to understand a number of years that led up to the point where this woman has to make a choice. You have to understand what her lineage is. You have to understand how the dots connect before her so that you understand the impact of, of the moment that this woman enters into Scripture and where she, she becomes famous in Scripture. Where it will be said of her, blessed are her among women. The story starts back with a name you do know, a guy named Moses. Moses, if you've seen the movies, he's the prince of Egypt. Even if you haven't read the book, you, you've maybe seen there's even a, a more up-to-date movie. It's not that bad, I'll just tell you. If you're expecting it to be uh, in accordance with Scripture in every scene, it's not going to be that way. God comes to Moses in the movie as a kid, and it's a little weird, right? I think I understand maybe why the writer of the movie did that, and, and it's interesting. But it's nonetheless, it's, it, it helps if nothing else, if you're not a reader, it will help you maybe understand the flow of the story of Israel and the Exodus, etc. And so you'll remember, even from Sunday school, that Moses is the prince of Egypt because he's put in a basket and he's sent down the river because all of the, all of the boys are going to be executed. And so his family says, we've got to save him, so we'll, we'll send him on a boat, on an ark, over to... Egypt, and maybe they'll have mercy on him, and the, and the wife of Pharaoh will pluck him out of the water, and, and he'll be saved, and he'll be raised as an Egyptian, and he didn't know any better, and so he was, and he becomes the brother of the next Pharaoh in line. But eventually, the story goes that he starts to figure out that he's not like the others. I mean, he's kind of always instinctively known this. You remember that he gets into a little trouble. He ends up, he ends up killing an Egyptian, and so he's got to leave town. He's, he's exiled from Egypt. He's no longer a prince. And he goes his own way. He's, he's sent out into the wilderness to wander and, and supposedly to die. But God has different plans for him. You'll remember the story that he, that he runs upon this, uh, uh, this place where water is being drawn. And there are women drawing water for their, for their flocks, for the sheep that they were monitoring. And there are others who come and they, they, they start to treat the women in a way that they shouldn't have been. And Moses, this upstanding young man that he is, he intervenes and he stops, he stops the wrong that is happening. And he says, listen, ladies, get your water. I'll get mine when you're done. And they'll get theirs after we're all done. Moses meets his wife in this moment. Anybody remember her name? Zipporah. Zipporah goes home to her dad. Zipporah is a Midian. She is a Gentile, generally speaking. She's not a Hebrew. She goes back to dad and she says, Dad, I, this is what happened. And this is what this, this young man did. And uh, her dad, anybody remember his name? Jethro. Jethro, there's no money for this, by the way. So, yeah, no. Jethro says to his wife, and this is in Scripture somewhere, why didn't you bring that boy home? I mean, if this is what he did, go find that young man. I want to meet him. Bring him home. And so she goes back, she, she gets Moses and brings him home. Long story short, they get married. Moses marries into this family of Jethro. And Scripture says that Jethro is a Midian priest. Now what that means is that, what you need to understand from it at least, is that they're, they're not Hebrew and they don't believe in the one true God. Okay? Uh, there are some who believe in one true God. There are some who believe in many gods. 
And Jethro and his clan and his family believe that there is one main God, but then there's a whole lot of other extra gods as well. That, that's, their, that's their religious focus. And so Moses, Moses becomes part of that, and he's faithful to that. He's, he's brought in and adopted by Jethro and that family and that clan, and he, he thrives there. He does well. And then you remember that God comes in and he says, listen, don't forget, don't forget my people because they're your people. And so Moses, burning bush, all that happens. You've you got to go get my people back out of Egypt. And so he goes back to Egypt. And you get all the plagues and you get all that happens there. And he confronts the Pharaoh now, uh, his, his, who he understands as his brother. And uh, he brings now his people out of Egypt. They cross the sea. The water falls back down. Everybody else is killed from Egypt. Remember this story? right? Just nod your head if you're tracking with me, okay? They end up back now in the land of Jethro. They escape and they go back. And now uh, Moses has not only his adopted family, but he has his people with him. And they're on their way, hopefully, to the land flowing with milk and honey. They're on their way to the promised land. That is the inheritance of the people of the nation of Israel. And so he's got his adopted family now and he's got his people and they are on their way. And uh, you know the story. They don't, they don't make it directly there. They have some trouble. They get to the outskirts, and they send in spies, right? They send in spies, and uh, how many spies? Twelve. They send in spies, and uh, a number of the spies, the majority of the spies, come back and say, uh, it's a no-go. They're giants in the land. We, we, can't, we can't win, you know. We've got no skills that are going to make us victorious over these people. Moses is disappointed. Why? He remembers all that God has done for them previously, and so should they. Two guys come back and say, we can do this. We can do it not because of us, but we can do it because of our God who has been faithful this whole time to us. We haven't forgotten, Moses. Who are those two guys? Joshua and Caleb. There we go. Good. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua ends up after Moses dies in part because of that faithfulness and his faithfulness to Moses over all the years. He, he becomes the next leader. And Joshua's job now, after a whole generation is going to die out, Joshua's job is to finally get the people into the promised land. And he does that. There's another, there's another story, another correlating story that happens here alongside this story that, that you kind of miss if you forget about Jethro and his family. But every now and then we get glimpses of it through the, the history of the nation of Israel. You see, Jethro and his family, uh, when Moses brings the Hebrews back, Jethro is so blown away by what God has accomplished through Moses and for these people, for all these people to bring them out of Egypt. Jethro's blown away and he says, your God is the one true God. Jethro starts to help Moses. He starts to help Moses in his leadership of the nation. He says, hey, listen, you can't do all of this. You've got you've to delegate some. And so Jethro becomes kind of like this father figure to Moses. But Moses essentially shares his faith with his father-in-law. And, and now these Midians become the believers, followers, grafted in. Once Gentiles, now they become part of the nation of Israel. And so they, they're converts to Israel. We find out as the story goes on, as the mantle gets passed from Moses to Joshua, that there are hints that Jethro's people are still with Israel. E even after a generation dies out, 
These Gentiles who've been grafted in, descendants of Jethro, they're still hanging around. They're still there, walking faithful with the nation of Israel, still faithful to Israel's one true God. Let's jump into the story. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10, verse 29, says this. Then Moses said to a guy named Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite. Now, Hobab is his brother-in-law. Hobab is a son of Jethro. Well, this says he's the son of Ruel. In, uh, in these days, you didn't, you didn't have last names like we have last names. And so they used other identifiers to help you understand who the people were when they were chronicling these stories. And so it helps that he is the Midianite. It helps, obviously, that he's going to say in the next phrase, it's his father-in-law. Ruel is another name that Jethro went by, and it's a way to describe the same person, okay? So, back to the verse. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the son of Jotham, uh, Jethro, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, just in case you missed any of it, we are setting out to the place which the Lord said, I will give it to you. What is that place? The promised land. Come with us and we will do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. And so here's what he says to his brother-in-law. Listen, your dad's already in on this thing. Um, you've got to make a decision, Hobab. I wish you would come with us. We're going to a land flowing apparently with milk and honey. I don't really understand what that means yet, but we're heading that way. And God says that he's going to be good to us. And if you're with us, he'll be good to you. You should come with us. Look at... Look at his brother-in-law's response, verse 30. But he said to him, I will not come, but rather will go to my own land and my own relatives. Huh. A little hesitation here. He's got another plan. Verse 31. Then he said, please do not leave us. This is Moses talking back to his brother-in-law. Don't leave us inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness. And you will be as eyes for us. Essentially, Moses, I think he's genius here in his evangelism. He says to his brother-in-law, listen, I understand that you have another plan, but we can use you. He helps, he helps his brother-in-law find a way to be useful. Now, does Moses, those of you who like to study leadership and, and how to manipulate people and, and all that other stuff that we do, um, do you think Moses really, after all that he's been through with God, really thinks that he needs his brother-in-law to get through this next phase? Probably not. I, I, think, I think better what you see here is the heart of Moses for his brother-in-law. He knows what his brother-in-law what his brother-in-law really needs is to be a part of the, the, the people of the one true God. And he's not quite there yet. And so he finds a way to, to get his brother-in-law just to come along. Because if he can come along with him, he'll see how faithful the, the one true God is. And he, he, he knows that he'll be there in the long run. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 32. So it will be, if you go with us, that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you. So they, they go and uh, they, they send the spies and, uh, and they, they, they have not only Joshua and Caleb who get to go into the land, but now we're going to find out that this family, through Jethro and his son Hobab, are in the promised land when we fast forward. They get to be there. They don't, they don't get, they don't get uh, lost in the generation that has to die out before before the nation of Israel goes into the promised land. So, fast forward. Judges, chapter 1. Judges, chapter 1. Go back to your right. 
By the time we get to Judges, Joshua is dead. Moses is gone, hands the mantle to Joshua. After, after Joshua is gone, there's a change in the leadership. Uh, judges would be supplied, different, different men and women would be supplied to give leadership to the nation of Israel. By the time we get to Judges, the nation of Israel is in the promised land. And the, the land has been divided among the tribes, and each of the tribes has a responsibility to rid their portion of the promised land of all the bad guys including the bad guys, bad religion. And so they're supposed to be about that business. And the judges, as they face conflicts in their new promised land, the judges will help them with this process. Judges 1, verse 16. Look who is still with Israel. Look who is still being faithful to the one true God. Judges chapter 1, verse 16 says this. The descendants of the Kenite. Moses' father-in-law went up from the city of Palms with the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the south of Arad. And they went and lived with the people. Who are these people? They're the descendants of Moses' father-in-law who long ago was converted to the one true God and to God's one true people. They, they grafted in. They, they said, we will align with your God. Hobab, the family stays with the nation of Israel. Now, keep going. Move forward to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. Verse 2 says this. And the Lord sold them, that's the nation of Israel, into the hand of of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was a guy named Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagion. So here's where we are now. By the time we get to Judges chapter 4, the nation of Israel is, is there in their land, but they're being ruled by the people that they were supposed to have banished from the land. So they've got a problem now. And so we're going to see a judge whose name is Deborah. All right? Good Mother's Day story all on her own. But she's just going to be a side to our story this morning. We're still, hold on, we're still getting to Jael. I promise she's in here. Uh, the nation of Israel now is, is, is not doing what they should have done. In different parts of the land, they're being controlled by the inhabitants of the land. One of the people that is controlling them is a guy named Jabin. He's the king of Canaan. He, he's, a, he's a Canaanite. He, he's, he's not a follower of the one true God, but he is still in control of his land. The nation of Israel has not, has not won that piece of the promised land just yet. Uh, Jabin is not a good guy. Had a buddy in seminary, uh, called me a few years after seminary. He said, hey, we're having a kid. It wasn't their first. I think it was their third. And he said, um, he said we're having a kid. And I said, that's awesome. And I said, what is it? It's a little boy. I said, awesome. And later on, we found out they had the baby. Hey, we had our baby. That's awesome. What would you, what'd you name him? I named him Jabin. Jabin? I said, hey, man, you were in seminary with me. Do you read your Bible? He said, no, what? He said, we found it in a book of Bible names. And I said, yeah, he's in the Bible, but he's not a good dude. Don't name your kid Jabin. I didn't say the last part. Anyway, he's a good kid so far. Jabin's got a, a commander. He's got a general, a bad dude, a guy named, a guy named Sisera. And, and Sisera is wreaking havoc on the people. Look at verse 3. The sons of Israel, it was so bad, they cried to the Lord. 
They cried to the Lord, for Sisera had 900 iron chariots. How many iron chariots did Israel have? Any wild guesses? Zero. And he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for a couple months, a couple weeks? No. 20 years. Man, I thought they were supposed to have this thing done by now. I mean, this promised land is not without its own hardships, is it? I'm a little surprised. Are you surprised? 20 years they're letting this this go on. Jump to verse 6. Deborah, who is the... uh, who is the prophetess, she is the judge who is, who is on the scene at the moment, she sent and summonsed Barak, Barak, the son of Abinamam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulon. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots, with his many troops, to the river of Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. It's the, 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 the valley there near the river of Kishon. And God has this plan to where he's going to rid them of this, this tyrannous ruler. And Deborah brings a word from the Lord to this guy named Barak. No relation. His name means, anybody know what his name means? Lightning. So this guy should be able to strike just by his name. He is, he is the chosen general of Deborah, the judge for the moment. She gives him the plan. It should work. God is faithful. This is God's plan. We didn't make this up. Here's what God's going to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's how many men you need to take. It'll all work out. Verse 8. Here's what Barak says to her. If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. What kind of leader does this seem like to you? Does he, sound, does he sound very much like his namesake? Does he sound like he's ready to strike like lightning? No. He's, he's a little scared. He's a little weak of heart. It's not a good place to be as the general. That's not much hope for your nation. She said in reply, verse 9, I will surely go with you. But nevertheless, look at what she adds. The honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the weak of heart, okay, God's going to do this. It needs to happen. I'll go with you. But here's the consequence. You will not get the honor nor the glory for what will be accomplished. For the Lord will, look at the last half of verse 9, the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a, what's the word? Anybody looking? A woman. A woman. So Deborah, this, this strong prophetess, judge of the nation of Israel, calls this guy up who's supposed to be a leader. His name is Lightning. Come on, this is what God's going to do. He's going he's to free our people just like he has in all the times before. I ain't going over there. You, I'll go, but you got to go with me. you got to hold my hand through this. All right, come on, general. Let's go, Lightning. But listen, at the end of the day, your name's not going to be in the history book for getting credit for this win. Instead, uh, just to... Just to really bother you, I'm going to use the most unlikely source, especially for this day and time. I'm going to use a woman. Hmm. Look what happens. Skip down to verse 13. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagiem to the river of Kishon. 
Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army on the edge of the sword before Barak. Uh, um, history says, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the stories of Israel, what am I looking for? Seth? The traditions of the people of Israel say that the chariots that God brought this, this storm, instead of the lightning striking, God brought this great storm and created basically this giant mud pit. And so all the chariots became of no use because they all just got stuck down there. And when they all got stuck, then Sis, uh, Sisera is, is routed by the nation of Israel as they come down off the mountain. God had a plan to, to, to stick them in the mud and then he flanks them. The Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army at the edge of the sword of Barak. And Sisera, he jumped out of his chariot and he fled away on foot. He turns tail and he runs. Now, look at where he goes. Verse 17. Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of, there she is, Jael. Now, I want you to back up to a verse that I skipped on purpose so that you can fully understand the impact of these next verses. Verse 11 of chapter 4 of Judges says this. A guy named Heber. You haven't heard his name yet, but it's going to tell you who he is. He's a, he's a Kenite. You recognize that family? Yes? He's got an ancestor named Hobab, who has an ancestor named Jethro. You remember this family? Look at where they find themselves now under this, under this 20 years of oppression. Are they still faithful? The, the one once uh, convert Jethro and his son Hobab who aligned with the nation of Israel and declared, we follow your one true God, we're with you. The, the, the clan that has grafted themselves in and over all these years, through the wilderness, the dying out of a generation, going into the promised land now, now even through these 20 years, are they going to still be there and faithful alongside the nation of Israel? Where they're there, but look at where they are specifically. Heber, the Kenite, had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. And he had pitched his tent as far as the oak in Zanamim, which is near Kadesh. Um, maybe you've heard a verse like this before. Maybe it reminds you of another guy who, who took his tent and set it up facing a city of the enemy. Anybody got a name in mind? How about Lot? Someone who decides that instead of staying in the, in the center of God's will, they're going to press their luck as best they can. And so they go right out into the edge. They go right to the border of righteousness and unrighteousness. And they, and they face themselves. They, they position themselves. They build their house facing that very thing that they're not to be a part of anymore. And so this guy, now after all these generations of his, of his family being faithful, he's living on the edge. He's pressing his luck. Uh, tradition says that he was probably, uh, probably a, a good artist in, uh, in metalworks. And so maybe with all their iron chariots and things, he becomes uh, a guy who finds some work for the enemy. And so he, he's living right there on the border. And he's not aligned himself with the one true God. He's, he's riding the fence. Now, look at what it says in verse 17. Now Sisera fled away on foot 
to the tent of Jael. Jael is the wife of Heber, the Kenite. So where is this tent? This tent's on the outskirts. It's not in the center of God's people. He's living on the edge. And as such, where is his family living? On the edge. Hmm. We get some commentary here in verse 17 about Jael, the family, and Heber. For there was, it says, peace between Jabin. Jabin a good guy or a bad guy? Bad guy. The king of Hazor and the house of Heber, the Kenite. Who had he now struck a deal with? The enemy. Who is he now aligning his family with? The nation of Israel? The one true God? No. He had, he had pushed himself right to the edge and now he has this alliance, not with the nation of Israel, but he, he's playing both sides of the fence. And this king, who's on the run now from, from God's wrath, from God's lightning coming down, he finds his way to the outskirts and he's trying to get back home and he realizes, I recognize this part of town. And maybe I can find shelter here. Look at what it says. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug or with a blanket. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk, not water, and gave him a drink. Then she covered him. What does is, what is nice warm milk do? Lulls you a little bit? Get your, get your belly full? So you're ready to sleep. Covers him with a blanket or a rug to hide him. Come this way. Apparently, Heber is nowhere around. Maybe he's out tending the flocks. Maybe he's out doing some other work. He's not there. These people are not in the fight. They're on the outskirts. But she sees him coming. And she invites him in. He believes so that he can be protected. He realizes, hey, I know these people. I've got a treaty with them. And so now he finds himself being hid in the tent of one of their allies. He's good to go, right? He's not so safe. He says to her, Stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, Is there anyone here? Here's what your answer should be. Nope. What would that be? That would be a lie. And so here we are at jail. I told you all that story so that you know where Jael stands. As she stands in her tent, with, with Jabin under a rug, she's got decisions to make, doesn't she? And that, that's the moment that all this boils down to. What is she going to do? He's saying, listen, if anybody comes around, I'm not here. He's the last one left. He, he's escaped himself. Uh, they got routed. He jumped off his chariot and he bailed. Probably four or five miles that he has to go to get to this to get to this area where, where he's now on the border of his own land and he, he runs in and he's wore out and he's, 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 he's thirsty and he's tired and he says, listen, give me something to drink and just, if anybody comes, I'm not here. What is she going to do? Ladies, here's your Mother's Day message. It's not all candy and flowers, but here it is. Verse 21. But Jael, Hebar's wife, mind you, and we know about him, what is she going to do? She took a tent peg, seized a hammer in her hand, and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and it went through into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted. I like the last verse. So he died. I would say he did. 
That's a, that's a woman right there. Now, listen. Don't get, don't get this G.I. Jane uh, picture in your head. That's, that's not where I want this to go. The most impressive thing about Jael is not how she takes out Jabin, not how she takes out this ruthless king. Yes, thank you. It's not how she takes out Jabin's general. I mean, it's, she's a bad mamma jamma, right? It's, ama- it's crazy, all right? But listen, that's not the most amazing part. The most amazing part is that she, she finds herself in this place where she has to make a decision. Her husband has already made a bunch of decisions, ladies. He's already put their family on the outskirts. They're already on the borderline of, of falling into sinfulness, if you will. But that's where her tent is. So let's draw some lessons from this story that we can learn from Jael. Guys, the first lesson is for you. In a time when men don't step up, and take leadership. And in fact, when maybe in a time when we are weak, see also Deborah and the general she chose, Mr. Lightning himself. In a time when we don't lead as we're supposed to, or in a time when we are weak in our leadership, or even in a time when we are defective in our leadership, when we, when we are taking our family to the outskirts, to the very edge of what righteousness says is allowable. Guys, just listen. He doesn't have to use you. He can and he will raise up if he has to. And in this day, it would have been very surprising. He could raise up a little bee. That's what Deborah means. And from that little bee, he can get the honey that he is looking for. And he could raise up a little goat. That's what her name means, Jael. Little goat. What do you get from a goat? That's where they got the milk. He can get milk and honey from unexpected places, guys. So don't worry. God will carry out His plan. If you're not going to step up, God God is not going to be without His leaders. To the ladies on this Mother's Day. Some amazing things about Jael, uh, the least of which is how she took out this general. Instead, what I want you to focus on is the fact that is as she uh, apparently remained faithful to her husband. She was. I mean, she was where he was. She hadn't left him. She hadn't left their home. He, he took them to the outskirts. He took them to the edge, but she was there. D- don't miss that. She remained faithful as best she could to her husband. And as long as she could, There's no indication that she, even in this story, rebelled against her husband. Ladies, there there may be times when when you end up on the edge of places where you would, in, in, in situations where your family is being put by your husband's choices in a place you wouldn't, you wouldn't take your family. Your home is not situated because of your husband's leadership in a way you would situate your house. It's not facing the direction you would have it face. There will be times when that is, that is pressed and your, your challenge will be to be faithful there not only to your God but also to your husband in a way that honors your God. Something else 
Um, you got to say it. She used what she had, ladies. Uh, there's no indication that she knew what was coming. There's no indication that she had this planned. I imagine that tucked him under the, under the blanket, under the rug, gave him a little warm milk, and now she's standing there. What am I going to do? And she looks around, and as a, as a Midianite, previously Gentile woman from the lineage of Jethro and Hobab, uh, they were Bedouin people. They were, they were people who moved around and set up tents all the time. She looked around, and, and here's, here's a tent stake, and here's a, here's a wooden mallet, and that's what I got, and so it's go time. She used what she had. Ladies, plug in your own applications here. When God calls you to a point where he needs you to be faithful, you've got to know that he will, he will provide you with whatever it requires for you to do your duty. Whatever you need, God will, will, will use maybe things that you don't even think are useful. Maybe you think you need some superpower weapon out here, ladies. But God says, listen, I'm, I'm perfectly fine just using what you have on hand. And so, ladies, take stock of what you have on hand. There might be a weapon in this, in this kingdom war that you don't realize you have. And God can use it. Something else. Ladies, we can learn from Jael to stay ready. You never know when God is going to bring the enemy to your tent. Um, no indication that she knew this was coming, but she was ready. She was ready. Ladies, uh, no matter what your circumstance is, there is a posture that you must take in your spirit, even if you find yourself in, a, in an uncomfortable place on the outskirts of what you, what you believe to be holiness and righteousness, maybe by choices that were not even your own. There is a sense in Scripture that we learn from Jael very well that you are to remain faithful and remain ready. You never know when God is going to arrange the circumstances. Was this an act of God? It sure was. You remember Deborah, the little bee, already prophesied that it was going to be that way. When Mr. Lightning said, listen, I'm not up for that, she says, okay, it's going to happen regardless, but just watch what God does, and he's going to end up using, he's going to end up using a woman. Really? Yep. And it happens. It happens. One last thing, ladies, I think we can learn. In Texas, we lived there mm, about six years all told, two different occasions. Uh, they like to use a phrase, a good, good southern Texas southern phrase, you dance with the one who brought you. You dance with the one who brought you. You heard this before? What this means is if an old cowboy takes you to the barn dance or something, I don't know, um, you don't go wandering off and finding another dude to dance with. You dance with the cowboy who brought you. The point of that is, is that you're faithful to the one who got you to the place that you are. I mean, you'd have never been at the dance otherwise if he didn't bring you. So don't wander off with some other guy just because he, he looks bigger or stronger or more attractive for whatever reason, just because he talks sweet to you. Don't, you don't go off dancing with the other guy and leave the guy who brought you standing there in the lurch. You dance with the one who brought you. Jael has to make a decision. Is she going to remain faithful with the one true God who got her and her family and her family's family all the way back to Hobab and Jethro, she knows how they got to the promised land. And although her husband's got them right on the edge of it, she knows who brought her to the place flowing with milk and honey. 
Ladies, there may be a point in your life, there may be several points in your life where you've got to decide because of situations in life, because of situations in your family, because of situations in relationships, because of situations at work, because of situations that, that you can't even imagine yet, that you feel like you're, you're pressed to the point where you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to stick with the God that you've been depending on for however many number of years that you've been born again? Or are you going to, are you going to find yourself being wooed, being tempted to, to follow some other leader. Jael made the decision. She made the decision. She was going to stay with the one true God that brought her up. Let me pray for you on this Mother's Day. Heavenly Father, Jael is not uh, the first passage or story you go to for Mother's Day. I realize that, Lord, but uh, you have a way of of using the most likely of candidates to reveal your own glory. It would be said in the Song of Deborah in the next chapter, Lord, as you would divinely inspire the little bee to sing about the little goat, it would be said that um, that this woman This, this uncommon character would be blessed among all women. And as we already learned, Lord, that's only going to be said of one other. The chosen mother of your son. There's something amazing about that, Lord. There's, there's, something, there's something there. Lord, you choose opportunities and um, situations that maybe we, um, we, would, we would think differently about. We, we would have written the stories differently, I'm sure, Lord. But because most of us, we, we feel like unlikely characters in your story, we're encouraged to know that um, if we hold strong, if we, if we cling to you as our one true God, that we can be used by you for amazing things. That it might be said of us, that blessed are we. And so Lord, not only for our moms, not only for our ladies, do I pray that, that we could be used. I pray this for our men and for our children. That Lord, we would be faithful to the one who is faithful to us. And if we find ourselves this day on the edge of faithfulness, on the outskirts of town, with our house, with our heart pointed towards unrighteousness or unholiness, Lord, I pray that we would repent. I pray that we would, we would, we would be faithful to opportunities to put to death sin in the camp. That we might be called blessed among your children. We thank you for this day, for the mothers that we have with us, and those who have gone before us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz.